Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And this episode is kind of related to one that we did recently on Tico Brahe's untimely demise. And in that episode, we touched on his achievements in the field of astronomy, as well as those of well-known astronomers Johannes Kepler and Nicholas Copernicus. Yeah, but even though those three names are often linked together, they're not all exactly contemporaries. Actually, Tycho and Kepler were contemporaries, but Copernicus died three years before Tycho was even born. But because of their work, they're really closely connected, at least to a degree. Exactly. Copernicus began writing about his heliocentric theory of the universe in the early 1500s, and he published a book about his ideas in 1543 or so, around the year that he died. Um, but this theory, what it was is it essentially proposed that the sun is the center of the universe and that the earth and the other planets revolved around the sun. And this was a really controversial idea at the time since people previously had believed the earth was at the center of the universe and was stationary. Yeah. I mean, now we know that Copernicus was right, but it was controversial at the time. Kepler, of course, from the previous episode, Kepler is actually the one who confirmed this heliocentric model using Tycho's data. That's how they all fit together. Um, even though, ironically, Tycho didn't even agree with Copernicus's model. No, not at all. He had his own theory about the universe. Um, and uh, actually another discovery, a rather significant discovery of his own, he spotted a supernova in the constellation of Cassiopeia in 1572, 
he thought at the time, and most people thought at the time, that it was just a new star. Of course, now we know that a supernova is the explosion of a dying star, but it was still considered pretty significant and also controversial at the time. But what was probably most amazing about the observations that were done up to this point by Tycho and others is that they were done pretty much with the naked eye. They had some instruments, but they were pretty much going going solo. And uh, the work of the first astronomer on this list, though, kind of changed that. Yeah, you can imagine if you start bringing in some tools, you're going to have an explosion in discovery. Right. So the first discovery we're going to look at was made by a guy who you might have heard of, Sarah. I'm not sure. His name's Galileo. Galileo, also my favorite search engine for (laughs) finding out all of this historical information. So true. Now, Galileo was an Italian astronomer. Born 1564, died 1642, and he was also known for his contributions in mathematics and science. He was the first astronomer to use a telescope, so that's kind of what we're referring to to before. He wasn't the inventor of the telescope, we should point that out. He was just the first to use it for astronomical purposes, and he actually constructed the first known complete astronomical telescope, which was basically a crude refracting telescope with a convex objective lens and a con cave eyepiece in a long tube. Which, not to discredit Galileo, but it seems like somebody might have put together such a simple device before this point. But, you know, with this new contraption, he is able to observe a lot and make a lot of new discoveries. And one of the most significant observations was that of the Milky Way, uh, which, of course, is the galaxy we live in, and that's how we know it now. Uh, He observed that the Milky Way is composed of billions of individual stars. And until this point, people just sort of saw it as this band of bright light going across the sky. They didn't realize what it was actually made of. Yes, the Greeks called the light Galaxius Kuklos, or milk circle. But when Galileo turned his telescope on it, this fancy new device that he had, he realized that the stars were actually emitting the light that people had seen for so many years. And no one had figured this out before because the stars were just too faint or distant to be seen with the naked eye. Yeah, you could just see their collective star shine, not the individual bodies. And later astronomers who had stronger instruments to work with, they were able to expand on this knowledge and determine the galaxy's shape, its composition, and so forth. But um, but Galileo kind of started it by figuring out what was there in the first place. Yeah, so that's his most famous contribution to uh astronomy, probably. But he's got a lot of other impressive contributions, which also stemmed from having this new device. He discovered that the moon had this cratery mountainous surface, and he observed four moons of Jupiter and observed the phases of Venus and sunspots, which sounds kind of dangerous looking at the sun with your new telescope, Galileo, but I don't know. (laughs) Um, And of course, all of these findings helped really confirm that Copernican view that the sun was at the center of our solar system. Yep, it all comes back to Copernicus again. And again, this idea, Copernicus's idea is causing controversy because Galileo later published works in support of the Copernican system, and that's what famously got him in trouble with the church eventually, because the church decided in 1616 that the Copernican system was dangerous to faith, and so Galileo, as many know, was forced to live out the rest of his days in seclusion. 
But fortunately, we have other astronomers on our list. Yes. The next one is Edmund Haley, who you may have heard his name before (laughs) as well. Yeah, I think pretty much everyone knows what he's famous for, but we'll give you a little background on him anyway. Edmund Haley was an English astronomer and mathematician who was born in 1656 and died in 1742. And he was fortunate enough to live during a time of scientific revolution, unlike a lot of the astronomers that we'd look, we've looked at here. Unlike Galileo. Right. And he was actually encouraged to study astronomy and it didn't, it didn't take too long for him to make a name for himself in the field. Yeah. So when he was only about 20 years old, it was, 1676, 1678, he cataloged the celestial longitudes and latitudes of 341 stars. And remarkably, that was the first work of its kind about stars in the southern hemisphere. People knew a lot about what was going on in the top half of the globe, but not so much about the southern hemisphere. And he was good buddies with Isaac Newton, too, in the 1680s. And he even assisted Newton in publishing his influential work, the Principia. Later, Haley even became Astronomer Royal in 1720. But as we mentioned before, he's most well known for a certain achievement in observational astronomy that involves comets. Yeah, his work started when he studied the parabolic orbits of 24 comets that had been observed from 1337 to 1698. And he published these findings in a work called A Synopsis of the Astronomy of Comets. And he made a really amazing discovery in that work that three of these historic comets, one from 1531, 1607, and 1682, which is that last one is the one that he observed personally, he realized that they were so similar that they had to have been the same comet. And from that, he realized that, well, the comet was due back again. Right. The The thing that really clinched it is that he accurately predicted the return of said comet in 1758. And he didn't live to see it, unfortunately. But uh, today, it's known as Halley's Comet. So he did receive credit for his discovery. Yeah. And Devlina and I were talking about it earlier, but we're not the right age for Halley's Comet. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed about that. Way too young or we'll be really old next time it comes around. Theoretically, we could have seen it in 86, but... I wouldn't have remembered if I did. No, unfortunately. (laughs) Apparently, too, the 86 uh, Comet Pass was not a very impressive one. So maybe we didn't miss that much. Oh, well, they did, I think, manage to collect a lot of data about it. Yeah, so there's something. All right. Well, the next entry on our list didn't just discover a comet. I think he did one better than that. Yep, he discovered an entire planet, and we are talking about Sir William Herschel, who was a German-born British astronomer, born 1738, died in 1822. And he actually, I find this really interesting, he started out as a musician, and he played the oboe, and music is what eventually led him to an interest in mathematics and in lenses, which eventually led him then to astronomy. But like the others on this list, Herschel was known for making several contributions to astronomy. So before we talk about his major discovery, we'll mention a few of those. He studied binary stars and nebula, and he theorized that nebula are composed of stars. And so, like I said, these are just a couple of the many, many observations that he made. But he's also known for having kind of a crazy theory. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit out there. He thought that life existed on all planets and the sun, in fact. The clincher. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the, the really wacky one. He thought that 
he thought that this was possible because the sun had a cool surface and that the heat that emanated off surface. of it, a cool solid surface, yep, and that the heat that came from it actually emanated from the atmosphere, but that there was a layer of clouds in between that atmosphere and the ground that protected the the people who live there. Inhabitants. The sun I wonder inhabitants. What you would call them. Yeah, I don't know if he thought they were people. Solarians, or... <laughs> maybe. So an interesting idea, but generally considered to be a little out there. But what he's best known for, as we mentioned, is discovering the seventh planet, Uranus. In 1781. And he discovered the planet while he was doing a survey of all the stars that were about 10 times dimmer than those that you could see with the naked eye. And other astronomers had, of course, observed Uranus before, but they thought it was a star. He realized that it was something other than a star because it was a disk shape, which is not a stellar attribute. And this was a really big deal. I mean, not just because it's a new planet, but because up until that point, there was this consensus among scientists that there were only six planets. There was Earth and then five planets that had been observed as long as recorded history. And that change, you know, the the admission that there could be new planets really opened up astronomers to go look for others. And this paved the way for the discovery of Neptune in 1846 by Johann Gall. So, I mean, it's a big change, not just in what astronomers knew, but what they were willing to believe. Absolutely. The next person on this list also had an interesting discovery that um, that kind of changed the way people perceive the universe. And we're talking about Giuseppe Piazzi, who is an Italian astronomer, born 1746, died 1826. And he was also, interestingly, a Theatine monk and a professor of theology. He became a mathematics professor at the Academy of Palermo in 1780, and he also founded the Observatory of Palermo, which is where he did a lot of his work. And it was there that he cataloged 7,646 stars, which to me is just an amazing, huge number of stars. But most significantly, in 1801, he discovered and named the first asteroid, Ceres. Yeah, and he took three separate observations of it and worked on calculating its orbit and did so with surprising accuracy, so much so that the following year, his predictions of its position turned out to be accurate. Um, so Ceres has a mass of one one hundred thousandth that of Earth, so it's really small compared to a planet, but it's huge compared to, you know, your average asteroid. In fact, it's the biggest, most massive asteroid in the asteroid belt that's between Mars and Jupiter. Right. It's so big that at the time he called it, people thought it was a minor planet of sorts. Um, Of course, after a few years, I think about 1850, its classification changed to asteroid um, because many other asteroids were found thanks to his discovery and they were identified. And um, and so that allowed, again, a new sort of perception of the universe. And, and then in 2006, after the controversy, the big hullabaloo over Pluto, is it a planet or not? <laughs> yep. Um, Pluto got downgraded and Sirius kind of got upgraded. It was reclassified as a dwarf planet. Yeah, I guess because if Pluto isn't going to be a planet, then Sirius needs a little boost. <laughs> So from this point, we're going to go extra galactic and go beyond our own solar system at last. 
And it's Edwin Powell Hubble who takes us there. He's an American astronomer. 1889 is when he was born, and he died in 1953. And he started out a lot like Tycho. If you listen to that podcast, then you'll know that Tycho started out studying law because his uncle, who's basically like a father to him and raised him, pressured him to do so. But he was always interested um, in astronomy and was kind of studying it on the sly all the time. And... um Hubble was a lot the same way. He he was studying law at the insistence of his father, but then finally when his father died in 1913, he got his chance to pursue a graduate degree in astronomy. Yeah, even though he had another delay with the onset of World War One, but finally, after the war is over, he was able to make up for all this lost time and really get to making some serious observations. Yep, and he was working at Mount Wilson Observatory in California and studying spiral nebula, which is what he had done his doctorate on. These were problematic because nobody could tell exactly what the spirals were. Were they other star systems? Were they clouds of gas within or near the Milky Way? What were they? Nobody knew. So his research led to the discovery that there are, in fact, other galaxies that exist outside the Milky Way, and this is kind of known as his major contribution Um, He pulled this achievement off by studying variable stars in the Andromeda Nebula and using the fluctuations of light in these stars to kind of figure out the nebula's distance. And he found out that that distance was 900,000 light years away, which was far beyond the borders of the Milky Way. Yeah, and so his finds with the Andromeda Nebula and other spiral nebula convinced a lot of astronomers that the universe was made out of multiple galaxies. There wasn't just ours. There were countless galaxies. And the Andromeda Nebula is, of course, now known as the Andromeda Galaxy, appropriately enough. And um, it's interesting, but later he even proposed a theory for why the majority of these external galaxies appeared to be moving away from us, moving away from Earth. Later, he even proposed a theory about why it seemed the majority of external galaxies were moving away from Earth, you know, moving away from where we are. And so that was sort of the key to the establishment of extragalactic astronomy. And, of course, the Hubble Space Telescope, which launched into space in 1990 and has led to so many more discoveries, was named for him. Yeah, we have an article on the Hubble. We do have an article on how the Hubble Space Telescope works and um, many astronomy articles, actually. So We're pretty stocked in this department. Yep, and so while we've wrapped up today's list, uh, you can continue to find out a lot more about what discoveries were made about space and, and explore that. Yeah, and also, I mean, I know we've only covered five amazing astronomical discoveries, and I'm sure there are many more favorites you have, and you can email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com or find us on Twitter at Missed in History or on Facebook and, I don't know, throw in your vote for your favorite astronomical discovery. Yeah, the rings of Saturn, Pluto. Yeah. Tell us what your favorites are. And again, if you want to look up those astronomy articles we mentioned, you can find them by visiting our homepage and typing in astronomy at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.